bones about it. That is probably my favorite song. And uh, I thank the Lord for it. Not just because Matt sings it. It was my favorite before I knew Matt. And uh, I'm thankful that he had a reason. He had a purpose to go to Calvary. And I was part of that purpose. Amen. Thank the Lord for that. He went to die for sinners. That included me. And uh, I believe what the song says. I believe while he was there, he saw me. I believe he knew me. I believe he died for me anyway. In spite of what he knew about me, in spite of what he knew that I would be, even after I come to the saving knowledge of Christ, he saved me anyway. And I bless his name for that. If you have your Bibles this morning, I want to go to the book of 2 Timothy. The book of 2 Timothy. It's a little quiet in here this morning. I, I'm attributing that to uh, y'all are still eating turkey. I told the deacons this morning, I think this is the first Thanksgiving in my life that I ate one uh, meal of turkey on Thanksgiving Day and I have not had any leftovers at all. And the reason that is is because they're all at my mother's house and not at mine. So uh, not had any more turkey except that, so I'm awake. They, they tell me scientific science proves that turkey makes you sleepy. And uh, so if you have not off this morning, I'll just believe you had a turkey sandwich for breakfast. But I want to look this morning, if the Lord will help me, all that foolishness aside, I want to look in the first chapter of the book of 2 Timothy. There was a word came up on Wednesday nights as we've been preaching through the book of John. Uh, the word committeth uh, that uh, Christ, it was used of Christ when he said that uh, there were many in Jerusalem in that day. In John chapter 2, I've made reference to these verses many times since I preached it. John chapter 2 verses 23 through 25. Many believed on Christ because of the many miracles that he did while he was in Jerusalem. But the very next verse, I believe it's verse 24, the Bible said, but Christ committed not himself to them. He did not commit himself to them. And that almost sounds like a, uh, just like a travesty that someone would believe on Christ and Christ would not commit himself to them. Now listen, the bottom line in those verses that those people uh, that are being referenced were not saved people. And here's the reason why. The word believed uh, is a past tense word. It is used in the past tense. They believed for a moment because of the miracles. Then that belief stopped. It did not result in salvation belief. It stopped. Christ did not commit himself to those. I believe with all of my heart that we are living in a day when people have believed because of certain things, but that belief has stopped. And I personally believe that those people are convinced that they are saved when Christ has not committed Himself unto them. The Bible said that He did not commit Himself to them for this reason, because He knew all men. 
Not only did he know all men, but he knows the intent of all men. He knows our hearts. He knows our thoughts. He knows our uprisings and our downsittings. He knows everything there is to know about us. The reality is he knows things about you that you don't know. Say, how can that be, preacher? You could be sitting here this morning with a dread disease in your body that your doctor has not found out yet. And he already knows it. He knows it's there. He knows the outcome of that. This morning I want to read you several verses of Scripture and I want to talk to you about that word commit and ask a question, what is it that we have committed unto Him? Beginning in verse number 6, the Bible said, Wherefore I put thee in remembrance that thou stir up the gift of God which is in thee by the putting on of my hands. For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me his prisoner, but be thou partaker of the afflictions of the gospel according to the power of God, who hath saved us and called us with an holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began. But it is now made manifest by the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ, who hath abolished death and hath brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, whereunto I am appointed a preacher and an apostle and a teacher of the Gentiles. For the which cause I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed to him against that day. That is the text that I want to read to you this morning. Let's pray together for the service. Lord, thank you once again for the day and for the privilege. God, you've given us to be in church this morning. God, specifically, I would say thank you for allowing us to be at Landis Baptist Church with these people, Lord, that you have put in my heart and these people, God, that I love and that you, God, have allowed us to be the pastor of. And I pray this morning that you would bless every one of them. I pray that their hearts and minds would be open and receptive to the Word of God this day. I pray you'd give us clarity of speech, and I pray, God, you'd give us a mind of understanding. God, I pray that our hearts would be touched and pricked by the reading of your Word and by the preaching, Lord, of that same Word. I pray, Father, that these words would enter into our hearts and into our minds. And Lord, I pray today that before we leave this place, 
that we would examine ourselves and ask ourselves the questions, Lord, that need to be asked. And Lord, I pray that we would respond honestly, and I pray that we would respond, uh, Lord, in a, a way of holiness and righteousness, God, that would be pleasing unto you. Help us, God, to do all that we do, not to be seen of men, not to receive glory in ourselves, but Lord, that you might receive glory and that you might receive honor. And Lord, that we may leave here this morning better than we came in, closer to you and having, uh, Lord, seen some things through your precious word. Now lead the service, get glory to yourself, and I'll do my very best to thank you for all that you do for me. In Jesus' name, amen. This morning's text brings us to a second letter that was written by the Apostle Paul to a young pastor of Ephesus named Timothy. This letter was written uh, from the prison house. It was written from some dreary dungeon uh, somewhere that Paul had been shackled in, no doubt had fetters on his feet and on his hands, and somehow Paul writes a letter of encouragement to a young pastor while imprisoned himself. We would think that if we were to write this letter, at least if I were to write this letter, it would probably not be nowhere near as encouraging as what Paul wrote to Timothy. My letter might have said this and yours might have as well. It might have said, Timothy, quit now. Might have said, Timothy, they'll never listen. Timothy, it's not worth the beatings and the scourgings. It's not worth the public humiliation, Timothy. It's not worth uh, being in this wet, dark, dreary dungeon shackled uh, to a guard. Timothy, uh, just stop and save your time for something else. Had we have written the letter, no doubt some of us would have encouraged the young pastor to quit. He might have said this journey just simply uh, needs to go a different route for it to be worth fighting for. But rather, in our text this morning, Paul uh, has called Timothy a dearly beloved son. He has uh, prayed grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father. He has uh, thanked the Lord who he served for forefathers for a pure conscience. And he has said uh, that without ceasing I remember thee in my prayers day and night. Paul is opening a letter to a young preacher telling him, Timothy, it's all right. I'm not discouraged by being where I am. He said in verse 6, when I put thee in remembrance, he has mentioned, uh, he has mentioned Timothy's mother Eunice, and uh, he has mentioned Lois, the grandmother, and he said, wherefore I put thee in remembrance that you might stir up, Timothy, that gift of God. He is encouraging Timothy to be excited about what it is that he is doing. 
Now I'm reminding you again, I know that this may sound monotonous, but he's in prison and he's asking, he's asking a young preacher to get excited. He's asking a young preacher to be encouraged and to lift up his head and had to stir up inside of him the gift that God had given him. Now, while this letter is written to a young pastor, I would say to you that every child of God, every believer has a gift to do something for God. We all, if we're saved, we all have at least one gift for God and many have multiple gifts for God. And, and uh, Paul says we ought to stir those gifts and use them for his glory. This morning, I, I want to look at uh, this word of an old preacher and that word that he leaves for a young man. I want to examine who we are and uh, where we stand in relation uh, to the words that Paul uh, gave to a young Christian. Uh, you see, many times in Paul's writings, uh, he uses military words. He says, I charge thee or I challenge thee. These military words are words that he's saying to, from Paul to Timothy, I am passing on to you what has been given to me. Paul says committed many times and he says there is some things that have been committed to him and he says Timothy there are some things that have been committed to you and as church members you have some things that have been committed to you I have some things that have been committed to me the question will be before we leave this morning what have we committed to him what have we committed in him this question that is before every saved person today is not can we be better for Christ, not can we be better for Christ, but rather the question is will we be better for Christ? The question is not can we. Did any of y'all ever have a teacher in school that would smack your hand or, or correct you when you use the word can instead of the word may? Can I, may I? Well, I don't know, can you? You know, and say, get it right. They wanted to make sure uh, that our grammar was correct, our English was proper. And if you said, can I go to the restroom? The answer immediately was, I don't know, can you? Okay, may I go? The problem in many of our churches today is we have presented the wrong questions. It's not, can we be closer to Christ? The question is, will you be closer to Christ? Will you? It is obvious this morning that we can be better. We can be better stewards of the things of God. We can be better teachers of the Word of God. We can be better listeners to the preaching of God. We can be better singers of the songs of God. We can be better. Will we? Will we? The person, or this prison rather, this prison epistle is a word to encourage a young man to keep going in spite of what he's seen happen to his mentor. 
Paul calls Timothy his son. This is a mentor. This is a hero of young Timothy. And he's looking at Paul in a dungeon, uh, fettered and shackled up. He's looking at Paul who has done nothing but try to help people. He's watching him be persecuted. He is aware of the beatings. Of, he is aware of that he has done nothing but try to be good and he's suffering for it. Let me remind you that the scriptures say, hey, all that live godly shall suffer persecution. So then comes the next question. Is it worth it to suffer for Christ? I'm reminded that the disciples, after they had been beaten, went away rejoicing, counting it joy that they were counted worthy and to suffer for the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm also reminded that in the day that we live in, when one thing is spoken harshly against someone, they quit and go home. Thinking how wrong it is for someone to say something bad against them when they're just trying to do right. I've had those moments in my life pastoring when I said it's just not I just cannot do this anymore I cannot go on any further I've had those moments but I would say to you as the songwriter said it'll be worth it after all child it'll be worth it after all after all of these heartaches all of these sorrows, all of these trials, all of these tribulations, uh, all of these persecutions, uh, one day we'll bow at his feet uh, and we'll cry, worthy is the lamb uh, that was slain. One day uh, we'll cast any crowns uh, that we might receive at his feet and declare glory to God in the highest. Uh, we will worship him one day. And then there'll be no more questions of is it worth it? Oswald Chambers has said this. All through history, God has chosen and used nobodies because their unusual dependence on him made possible the unique display of his power and grace. He chose and used somebodies only when they renounced dependence on their natural abilities and resources. In most cases, what Oswald Chambers is saying, in most cases, God is using men like Timothy. Men who recognize that if Paul, the trained ex-Pharisee that knows the law forward and backwards, uh, if Paul, who is anointed of God and writing letters to preachers all across the world, if Paul is suffering, who am I? What can I do for God? But God chose Timothy. Just a young boy who Paul says, let no man, Timothy, despise thy youth. Don't let anybody look down at you because you're a young person. Timothy, preach the word. He said, preach it instant, in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. Timothy, you can do this. But 
Timothy said, no, I can't. And God said, you've got it right. I can't do this. But God will help me. Timothy, stir up those gifts. This made Timothy a prime candidate, the fact that God used uh, uh, those that were not the heady and high-minded uh, more than uh, he did the rich and the famous. Uh, it made Timothy a candidate for the work of God. It is said of Timothy that he was not a natural leader. Meaning very simply that he depended on God for leading a church. Let us look this morning at how Paul is going to try to encourage this young believer. I'm, I'm giving you a lot of background and, and opening statements to get where I want to go. As we look at what Paul is saying, what message he leaves from the walls of the prison house, Paul begins by reminding Timothy he has a gift. Timothy, you have been gifted. I don't know this morning how many preachers are sitting on the sidelines that have the gift to preach, but they're sitting on the sideline. They're sitting in a pew because they got discouraged uh, and they quit their church, uh, and now their gift is sitting dormant. I don't know how many singers got upset with the guy that sets up the special singing and they quit singing and now they're sitting on a pew and their gift lies dormant. I don't know how many Sunday school teachers got their feelings hurt and they quit doing what they're doing and their gift is being unused and wasted while they sit on a pew. Timothy, stir it up. Remember in your mind that I didn't give you the gift. The church didn't give you the gift. Uh, the people down the road didn't give you the gift. But God Almighty gifted you in this area. Stir it up and use it for his glory. He reminds him that he is gifted. This serves as a reminder to Timothy that God called him. Now listen, I know sometimes people cringe when we use the word chose or chosen. We cringe when we use that word. Paul said that from his mother's womb, God had called him and anointed him to preach the gospel. Jeremiah said the same thing. Jeremiah went on to say, when I want to quit, he said, it's like a fire shut up in my bones. It will not let me quit. Why would these men say these things? God chose them for a specific purpose in life and he gifted them to be able to complete the task that he set them to do. And friend, if we sit down on God and we forget the gift, that he has given us, we have sat down on his purpose. Just a reminder. We all need to be reminded who put us where we are. We all get tired 
We all get weary. We all get frustrated. We all see a different way it could be done. And from time to time, we just want to throw up our hands and go to the house. All of us get that way. We all do. And uh, the reality is when we get there, we need to remind ourselves uh, we're where we are, not because man voted someone there, not because uh, somebody thought I'd make a good a toddler teacher, not because somebody thought I'd be a good missionary, not because somebody thought I'd be a good preacher, but because God called us, uh, chose us, uh, and equipped us uh, how to do a job on his behalf. Amen. Remember that. When you're tired and you think, man, there's only going to be two kids in my Sunday school class this morning. Am I even doing any good? God gifted you Amen. and equipped you and picked you to teach those two kids. Amen. Amen. You're special. He knew two kids. He knew two kids. Uh, it's what would be under uh, your direction and your leadership. Uh, and he gave you the gift to teach them. Hallelujah. Listen. We have certainly, and we did not choose this, but God chose us for this time, for this place. So Paul says, remember, just remember this. There's things about your life I want you to forget. I mean, there are. But Johnny, I don't, I don't want people, I don't, rem, I don't want people remembering what a good time they had while they were drunk. Amen. <laughs> I don't want people remembering what they call the good old days. I want them to remember those days as being bad, sinful, wicked days uh, when their life was being lived apart from God Almighty, uh, when their life was glorifying as Satan rather than God. I want you to see those days as exactly that. But I want you to remember when God saved you. And I want you to remember how he changed you. I want you to remember how he took out of you a desire for the clubs and put in you a desire for the church of the living God. How he took hate out of your heart and put love in there for your fellow man. How that God changed your mind about some things and he gave you the ability to teach, preach, sing, whatever it is that he gave you that ability. I want you to remember that. He also says here in our text, listen as we go to verse 7. He said, I want you to stir up that gift. He said, I want you to stir it by remembering. Verse 7, he says, God has not given us the spirit of fear. He said, so Timothy, don't be afraid. God didn't give you the spirit of fear, but he gave you the spirit of power and love and of a sound mind. Timothy, you may not have the same abilities that someone else has. Listen, I, I, I use Matt a lot. There's two reasons why I use Matt 
a lot. Okay, I'm going to tell you. One is he sits close to the front. Amen. If you don't want me to use you when I'm preaching, sit in the back. Number two, I know if I use him in an example, he's not going to get mad at me. Amen. But listen, if I, if I could sing like Matt, I would. If I could, I would. If I could pick a voice that I'd like to have, it'd be one like his or Jacob's that could sing bass on one song and sing that high tenor on the next one. They've got range. They've got ability. They've got pitch. They've got all those things necessary. But God didn't gift me the same way he gifted them. So I can't, I can't be that. You may not be like everybody else, Timothy, but here's what I want you to know. He didn't give you the spirit of fear. So you don't fear them. Don't be afraid of them. Fear no man, Timothy. Fear God. He didn't give you that. He didn't give you the same abilities he gave me, and he didn't give me the same abilities he gave you, but what he did give me was a spirit of power and of love. And he gave me a sound mind. I may not be able to sing like Matt, may never get to. One of these days, I, I, I'm going to ask him if he'll let me sing with him. You know, I'd just like to do that one day. But the reality is God don't give the same gifts to everybody. But he has given us all a spirit of power and of love and a sound mind. Well, most everybody's got a sound mind. I have run across two or three that I have questions about, but most everybody has a sound mind. <clears throat> that was a joke. Some of you got it. <clears throat> Paul says, do not fear. We've been given this power. We've been given this love. We've been given a sound mind. Paul uses this uh, to move to telling him, not only should you not be afraid, <clears throat> but he said, Timothy, don't be ashamed. <clears throat> Here's what he said. He said, Timothy, I don't want you to be ashamed of my testimony. He mentions himself later, but he first says, don't be ashamed of the testimony of Jesus Christ. The testimony of our Lord, he says. Then he says, nor of me. He's going to go back to what he said in Romans chapter number 1, verse number 16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God unto salvation unto the Jew first, but also unto the Greek. Hey, Timothy, do not be ashamed of the gospel message that you have been given to preach. I know a man that dies on a tree is cursed. I know that most people will not associate themselves with a man that the world has declared guilty before God and they sentenced him to death and hung him there. But Timothy, do not be ashamed of the cross. Do not be ashamed of the blood. Do not be ashamed of a Savior who lived a perfect life, but rather lift your head up and glorify God for the very Son of God who came to bleed and die and give us life as we know it. Timothy, don't be ashamed of that testimony. And then he says, don't be ashamed of mine because I'm not ashamed to be down here in the prison house. I read one place where Paul was thrown in prison 
with a man named Silas. You know the story. And the Bible said about midnight, how they began to pray and they began to sing unashamedly in the prison house. I do not know how many times in our day that that happens, but in those days, Paul said, I'm not here because I got a DUI. I'm not down here because I robbed a liquor store. I'm not in jail because I touched some woman. Paul said, I am here for preaching and proclaiming the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. So while I'm here, I'm just going to keep praying. I'm just going to keep singing. I'm just going to keep praying. Hey, listen to me this morning. You may get down and weary and discouraged, but do not be ashamed of the gospel. Do not quit. Do not quit telling it wherever you may go. He said, Timothy, Stir up the gift. Don't be ashamed. He said, but be a partaker of the afflictions. Paul said, Timothy, he said, won't you do something to get put down here with me? <laughs> be a partaker of the afflictions. Preach and be glad. Be thankful. Be grateful. Count it honor to suffer for the cause of Christ. Count it all joy, he said in one place. He said, Paul said, rejoice evermore. Rejoice always, Paul said. Regardless, Timothy, of your circumstance, regardless of the backlash from the people of Ephesus, do not be ashamed of the gospel. Be a partaker in the afflictions. Be okay with what comes your way. He said these afflictions of the gospel according to to the power of God. If afflictions come according to what Paul has written, they're coming according to the power of God. They get to you. It's because he led them there. Amen. Look at verse 9. He said he saved us and he's called us, Timothy, with an holy calling, not according to our works. I love these verses right here. But he said according to his own Purpose and grace. Listen to me. I want you to get this. God did not save you because he knew you were a great worker in the church. He did not save you because he knew you had special ability. He saved you according to his purpose. That's what Paul said. We're saved according to his purpose, and what's the next word? And grace. Amen. You're saved because he has a purpose for you and because he extended grace to you. Now, if that reads any differently in your Bible, then I'm sorry, I don't know what to tell you, but he said he saved us, not according to our own works. He said, but according to his purpose, according to Grace. Now watch, he goes on and he talks about that grace being there from the foundations of the world, from the beginning. Let me read it to you. You've already got it in front of you, but I want to read it to you. He said, he said in verse 10, or verse 9 rather, he said that grace which was given in us or given us in Christ Jesus before the world began. He said grace. 
before the world even began, grace was there. Somebody, somebody talks about, and, and the law first mentions a real thing, and it's a very true thing. And if you find a word, the first time it's used, that's generally the way it'll be used through all of the text and the scriptures. But listen, somebody said that the first place we see grace is when Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And wrong. Paul said it was before the world even began. There was grace before the world ever started. How does it happen? How does it work, preacher? That grace becomes manifest in us when we're saved and born again by the grace of God. Look at verse 10. But it is now made manifest by the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who hath abolished death and hath brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Timothy, do not be afraid. Timothy, you have power, you have love, you have a sound mind. Uh, Timothy, you need to know uh, that you're not saved by how much you work, but rather you're saved according to his purpose and his grace. Uh, and that grace is manifest through Jesus Christ when he died for us and abolished death. Verse 11, he said, whereunto I am appointed Paul's giving a little of his testimony. I am appointed a preacher and an apostle and a teacher of the Gentiles. Verse 12. Listen, wait, let me not get to verse 12 yet. Cause the young man to get on board and be a partaker of the gospel, the afflictions of the gospel. This happens according to the power of God. We are partakers according to God's will and God's power in our lives. I love Verse 9, I've already said all that. Verse 11 in our text today is where I want to look for just a minute. And I know it's after 12, but Paul says, uh, Paul says it uh, this way for a, a reason. That he suffer, for the reason that he suffers, rather. Paul says it is for this reason that he suffers. Here's why he said, I'm suffering. This is the cause that I suffer for the gospel. For the gospel. And he said, here's why. He said, nevertheless, I'm not ashamed. He said, I'm suffering, Timothy, because I'm preaching to these people the same thing I'm asking you to preach to these people. But he said, nevertheless, I'm not ashamed of what I'm preaching. I'm not ashamed, Paul. Listen, Paul, Paul would have carried a label in our day. Baptist would have pinned a label on him because Paul said we're the elect of God. Paul said that we were predestined. Paul said those things. And Paul would have carried a label for believing the word of God. But Paul said, I am not ashamed of what I've preached. He said, for I know whom I have believed. Let me say this. There is a great difference in whom you have believed and what you have believed. You want to know the problem in most churches today? We're resting on what we have believed instead of in whom we have believed. I have not believed in, uh, in a, a Baptist way, even though I am a Baptist because I believe they're closer to the truth than any other denomination. That's why I am what I am. If they was something better, I'd be that. 
I'm not knocking Baptists this morning, but I didn't get saved because I believe what the Baptist said. I got born again because the Holy Ghost of God lifted the blinders off of my eyes, showed me I was a sinner bound for hell. The Word of God said, Paul's words, he said, if I believe in my heart, confess with my mouth the Lord Jesus, that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. I got saved on the Word of God not on the word of man. So many people is anchoring all that they have in what they have believed. Somebody said, what do you believe? Well, let me tell you what I believe. Why don't people say, who do you believe? Or say, let me tell you who I believe. I believe in the Lord Jesus Christ who was born of a virgin, lived a perfect life, impeccable Savior. I mean to tell you, there's not any sin in Him, nor could there have been any sin in Him. He was very God in the flesh. That's who I believe. I believe at the end of 33 and a half years uh, that He laid down His life freely. No man took it from Him. Uh, You can read the book all day long, The Murder of Christ, uh, but it wasn't a murder. He laid it down. He gave it up. He was the one that gave up the ghost uh, and allowed death to leave His body. He didn't even have enough sin in him. Had a word, death had to be asked to leave. He couldn't. He couldn't die. He was not mortal. He had to tell himself to die. I believe that. I believe on the third day, he rose from the grave like he said he would. I believe they destroyed the temple and in three days he rebuilt it. Amen. I know whom I have believed. I believe he sits right now at the right hand of the Father where he ever liveth to make intercession for you and I. I believe he's in control of the Lamb's book of life and whoever's written in it. I believe that he is the only one that's worthy to open the book, to open the seals, and to open the vials thereof. I believe he is a lamb that was seen slain from the foundation of the world. It is whom I have believed, not what. I believe in the beginning God was him. Amen. It's whom? Paul said, I know whom I have believed. And he said, I'm not ashamed of it. Now watch. I'm taking you to this question, I promise. I'm so far ahead of myself, it ain't even funny. Paul's going to have something to say about his life in prison, his life of suffering and being persecuted. He said, I'm not ashamed of where I am. I'm not ashamed. Listen, can I tell you something? I'm not ashamed of the gospel I preach and the word that I carry because I know that to the best of my ability that I'm preaching it according to how it's written in the word. Amen. I'm not trying to pull out a verse and fool you into believing something that's not in the Word of God like many people are doing. I'm trying to expose and expound to you what the very Word of God means in its context and in the way in which it was written. I'm not ashamed of it. I'm not ashamed. I'm not ashamed to use those words. I'm not ashamed how to use the messages that Paul preached or Peter preached or John preached. Why? They're God's Word. Paul said, while I'm down here in prison, Timothy, I want you to know I've been appointed to be a preacher. I've been appointed to be an apostle, a teacher of the Gentiles. And for these things, he said, I am not ashamed. I know whom I have believed. Here's the, here's the kicker. And he said, I am persuaded that he is able to keep that 
which I have committed unto him. Here's the question. What has Paul committed unto him? I've heard preachers say this. Just commit it to him. He'll keep it. Commit your children unto the Lord. He'll keep them. Commit your house unto the Lord. He'll keep it. Commit this unto the Lord. He'll keep it. That ain't what Paul's talking about. If I'm not mistaken, this is the only place in Scripture the word committed is used in the manner that Paul is using it. The word means to make a deposit into something. To make a deposit, expecting where you made that deposit to keep what you deposited safe. What do they call safety deposit boxes at the bank? Is that what they call them? I don't have one of those. Don't know what that is. Don't have anything valuable enough to leave down at the bank. If it burns up in my house, it burns up. That's all I got. Amen. Here's the reality, though. Some people have things that are precious enough to them that they don't want to take any chances with those things and they carry them down to a bank and they trust the bank to guard that, to watch that. And when they go back, whether it be in a month or whether it be in 10 years, they expect what they deposited in that safety deposit box to still be there. Paul said, I'm not ashamed of what, who I believe. Paul said, I'm not ashamed of what I preach. Paul said, I am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him. Here's what Paul committed. I'm not listening. We talked about John chapter 2, Christ not committing himself, himself to those people that believed for a short time and quit. Listen, here's the problem in our churches today. Who in church has really committed themselves to God? Paul's given us a lesson on the doctrine of eternal security. He said, I'm persuaded that if I die in this prison, God is able to keep that which I have committed unto him, and that's me. He's not going to lose me down here in the prison house. He's not going to lose me if I get arrested for preaching in the next town. He's com I'm committed to him, and he is committed to me. The problem, the problem. We, listen, I believe in eternal security. I believe when you're saved, you're saved. I don't believe a devil in hell can do anything about it. I don't believe your mama can get you unsaved. Your daddy can get you unsaved. You're saved if you're saved. If you're saved. The problem is the church of our day has made that doctrine look so ugly and so bad because we claim to be saved and we live like hell. You know what the reality is? There's a whole lot of people that claim to be saved that are living like hell that ain't never been saved to start with. And they're making those of us that believe once you're saved, you're always saved, look like a bunch of idiots because they say they're saved and they're out drunk every Saturday night. Well, they say they're saved and they cuss like a sailor. Well, they say they're saved and I know he's cheating on his wife. They say they're saved and he's doing this and he's doing that. Here's the, here's, here's the fix to all of that. Those words, they say. They say they are. They say they are. It is, Paul said, I'm not ashamed. If I die in this prison, he's going to keep that which I've committed to him. And what I've committed to him is myself. I'm committed to Christ. I believe it's a problem in our churches. I believe it's a problem to find people who have committed their life to Christ. I'm not talking about, I'm not talking about committing him an hour or two on Sunday. Now we're on Wednesday night committing 
I'm not talking about that kind of commitment. I'm talking about a life committed to Christ. A life that has surrendered my will to His will. A life that has offered up not our good works. We've not offered up our abilities and what we can do for the church, but rather we've offered up an empty slate to God and said, Lord, I'm nothing and you're everything. Take my life. Make me what you'd have me to be. Use me for your glory. I'm committing myself to you. I hear people say it all the time. Well, why did God let this happen? Why did God let that happen? A lot of those people that are saying things like that are not committed to Christ, therefore he's not committed to them. And we could say, what have you done for me lately? Why would God do anything for anybody that's not committed themselves to him? Why would he provide for somebody that's not even his? Be like me making provision for the Taylor family. And they're not even mine. Somebody would say, oh, that was a generous act and you're a great man and what a blessing to see somebody do that. But the reality is, they're not mine. I've been in a room with them all together at one time. And, uh, and uh, they're not loud at all. <laughs> Nathan said he's moving to the back row. Now listen, here's, here's what I'm saying. Commit to them. Bring them into your house and say, just be yourself. Not everybody's going to do that. You know why? Because they don't belong to me. They're who they are. Nathan's been given a special, special gift. Amen. <laughs> I love these girls. They know that. Listen, he's got the ability to take care of them because they're his. And I know, listen, he's, he's talked to me about family. He's, we've talked different things here and there, and here's what I know. He's committed to that woman and to these girls. Not all these are his, by the way. <laughs> but he's committed to these girls. You know what else he's done? He's got some in his home that weren't born into his home. And he's committed himself to them. And you know what's happened as a result? They've committed themselves back to that family, to what that family means and to what it stands for. Why would they commit to me if I'm not committed to them? Why would, why would any of these girls do anything I ask them to do if I've not ever shown any commitment to them? They come and say, Preacher, could I, could I please borrow $10? I don't have enough gas to get home. And me say, you ain't mine. You can use my phone to call your daddy, but you ain't getting mama. Now, none of us would do that, but I'm trying to make an example. They wouldn't come to me for that because Nathan's shown himself to be committed to them, not me. They'd go to him because he's committed. This huge question this morning looms heavy in my heart. Have we fully committed our lives to Him? That's a deep, serious question. I mean, it's a serious question. I'm not talking about have you committed yourself 
to your Sunday school class. I'm not talking about whether you are committed enough in WMU. I'm not talking about whether you're committed enough to brotherhood, whether you're committed enough uh, to church service. I'm talking about are you committed to him? To him. Now, let me, let me, t- let me take it a step further. Are you committed to him like you are committed to other things? I know people that will not miss a day of work but it does not bother them to miss four services in a row. You listening to me? I'm trying to get you to understand where our commitment is, where our commitment lies. Are we fully committed to Christ? Paul said, I am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him. He may not be committing himself unto us because we have not committed ourselves unto him. Believe for a minute. Believe for a short time. God healed your grandma from cancer and let you keep her two more years than what she was expected to. And you believed for that two-year span. And then all of a sudden, somehow that belief stopped because the miracle went away. That is not commitment to God. And that is not a Christ that commits himself to you for that kind of belief and that kind of commitment. That's just the Bible. That's John 2. That's that's our text this morning. Are we fully committed? I want to be honest with you. I I had to run. Listen, it's easy to preach this stuff, but it ain't easy to get it all together because I have to go through all these questions before I ask them to you. I have to ask myself, where am I living? How is my life? Has he got all of me or does he have part of me? Does he have a little of me? Some need to ask the question, does he have any of me? Some have given him nothing, committed nothing to him. You say, well, preacher, my time, time's nothing. He's a God of eternity. Time means nothing to him. Days of a thousand years, a thousand years is a day. It means nothing to him. He wants your life. He wants you to be a partaker of the afflictions of the gospel of grace. He wants you. He wants you. He wants you. He gets you. He'll have your time. He gets you. He'll have your money. He gets you. He'll have your mind. He'll have your soul. He'll have your flesh. We won't have to fight for you. We won't have to send out search parties wondering where you're at. He has you. He's got what he wants. But if you've got a little short-term belief because of some miracle you saw somewhere down the road and that ended, he doesn't have you. And the reality is he's never had you. And in that day, Depart from me, you workers of iniquity. For I never knew you. Never knew you. Never knew you. Let's stand to our feet. I've given you the message. I want to give you just right quickly as we're standing together. Brother Matt sung this song in opening assembly this morning. Come thou fount was the song he sang. The words got me this morning.
Before Brother Johnny ever testified, the words came out of my mouth. What a song. What a song. Listen to this last verse. Oh, to grace, how great a debtor daily I'm constrained to be. Let thy goodness, here's, here's commitment. Let thy goodness like a fetter bind my wandering heart to thee. Prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart. Oh, take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. Will we commit to a life of living for God? Again, I'm not, I'm not talking about three or four hours a week. I'm not talking about an extra night for play practice. I'm not talking about, I'm talking about your life. I'm talking about your life. Doing all that you do for the glory of God. While we sing, this altar is open. If you need it, you come. I surrender all to hear my freely give. I will ever love and trust Him in His presence day. Folks are praying. Are we fully committed to Him? We commit ourselves to different things on a daily basis. You expect your children to be committed to their schoolwork, especially if they're in college. You've got to pay for that. You want them to do everything just right, make the best grades they can make. Commit yourself. Commit yourself. Are we teaching our children to commit their lives to God? That's eternal. School is temporary. Not, I'm not taking away an emphasis on education. It's needful, but friend, listen. We ought to put a greater emphasis on educating ourselves in the things of God instead of the things of this world. Things of this world ought to be growing strangely dim to us. Commitment to Him. Commitment to Him. I hear these words when people are single, He just won't commit. She just won't commit. They're scared of commitment. They don't want to be tied down to a commitment. There's never any truer words that could be spoken in this church this morning than those words. He's scared of commitment. She's scared of commitment. 
They just don't want to be tied down by commitment. We won't listen. Here's, here's what the songwriter said. Bind me with those fetters. Bind me to your heart with fetters. Bind me close. We want one of them 100-foot dog chains that you can clip to the wall and you can still go out and do all those things you want to do and then come back home when you want to. That's not commitment to God. It's not commitment. God, ain't, God don't operate on a, on a lease law. He wants you to be committed to Him. He wants you to love Him enough you can control your cussing tongue. He wants you to love Him enough that you can drive past the liquor store. He wants you to love Him enough that you can quit doing the things you're doing and live for God. We're going to sing another verse. All to Jesus Are you fully committed? He'll keep it. If you're fully committed, you'll not be ashamed. You'll be a partaker. You'll believe the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. God help us. Take me, Jesus. Take me now. I surrender all. You trusting in what you believe or in whom you have believed? said in the very first verse of his gospel in the beginning was the word he said the word was with God and the word was God are we committed to what or to whom this is him this is him what it says is him what it says is what he believes what it says is what he'll judge us by what it says will determine whether we're saved or lost. What he says. What whom says. Not what what says. I hope and trust this morning you've committed all that you have to the Lord Jesus Christ. It has been a joy to preach today. It has been a joy to be in the Lord's house. I love the gospel. I love the gospel. And I hope.